Well, good morning, Miss Seal Church. It is my joy to be with you this morning. Uh, as Levi said, he is a dear, dear friend. Um, I see that he's willing to not be my friend if I don't preach faithfully. Um, I'll still be your friend, Levi. So. I bring you greetings from Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. That is Southwest Florida. As I thought about what word to bring to this congregation this morning, I thought for a while I might talk to you about how sunny Florida is and then preach to you about not being jealous. Um, but I, I thought that wouldn't be the best route to go. But here's what I have felt convicted by the Lord to preach. I've enjoyed visiting your city, uh, filled with thousands upon thousands of souls, never dying souls that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that have yet to hear his gospel. And here is a church in the midst of that city called Missio Church, a church that's devoted to the mission of God, to spread his glory all across this world, to magnify his son Jesus Christ, the only savior for sinners. Here is a church devoted to that mission to herald the truth of Jesus Christ. Here in this beautiful building with architecture that reminds this city pointing to the heavens that there is a God, there is a creator. There's someone who oversees all of your activity in this world. Here's the remnant. Here's the people of God. And as I thought about the mission that is before Missio Church, I wondered if there is an enemy who hates that mission. Is there one who wants to destroy this congregation so that it will not be a city on a hill? It will not be a light in the darkness? And you know the answer to that, there is. And how is it that that enemy will shut down this beacon of light? You know how to do that? He will pollute it with sin. If this congregation can be polluted with sin, if sin can creep its way into this fellowship, it will no longer be a light in the darkness. It will no longer be a beacon. It will be corrupted. And the mission of God will be compromised at this time. We have great hope that it will not be compromised. And so what I wanted to preach to you this morning is a call not to conceal sin, but to confess sin. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to bring out that sin into the light and say, oh God, please purge us and we shall be clean, wash us and we shall be white as snow. And we confess that there is a crucified and risen Savior. There is a big bloody cross. And we're confessing faith in Christ and we're bringing all of our sin into the light and we're saying, have your way among us, God, that we would be faithful to the mission that you've called us to. Let's be honest right up front. There are a thousand reasons not to confess sin. When you confess sin, your life gets harder. When you confess sin, you might have financial challenges. 
You might experience trouble in your relationships. You might actually have to deal with what's going on. There might be civil ramifications if you bring forth your sin. So, so there are all kinds of um, wooings from the enemy so that you would reject this message, so that you would suppress the, the striking of your conscience by the Holy Spirit of God. So you would say, I can somehow, I can, I can deal with this another way. Doesn't love cover a multitude of sins? Let me just love myself some. Cover up these sins and not bring them into the light. I want to put a passage of scripture before us this morning that I pray by the Spirit of God will help us to confess sin. So take a Bible and open with me to Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Just one verse. This is the word of God. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Hear this word one more time. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If you feel temptation to conceal your sin, oh, loved one of God, hear this word. If you conceal your sin, you're not going to prosper. You are not going to flourish. You are not going to grow like the grass of the field. But if you confess it and you forsake it, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get mercy. You're going to get mercy from God. And oh, it might be hard, it might bring trouble into your life, it might be shameful, it might be disgraceful. You might think there is no possible way that I can bring this forth. You have no idea what I've done. Listen to the word of God. You will obtain mercy if you confess your sin and you forsake your sin. There's four main divisions of this passage. There's the truth that we conceal our sin, he who conceals his sin. Part two is the truth that such a man will not prosper. Part three, he who confesses sin. What does it mean to confess and forsake sin? And part four, he will obtain mercy. Let's look at those four divisions together. First, he who conceals his transgressions. Is this really a problem? Is this really something that we do? It would be easy to say, I'm not concealing anything. You know that's what people say when they're concealing something. I'm not concealing anything. We do conceal sin. Sin is concealed all the time. Do you know how many sins are being concealed right now in the city of Syracuse? We conceal our sins from God. We find ourselves like Cain after having killed Abel. God came to him and said, where is your brother? And what did he say? Am I my brother's keeper? He knew where his brother was. He knew what he had done. But he couldn't bring it into the light. What did our first parents, Adam and Eve, do in the garden? After sinning against him, God came and said, where are you? 
What had they done? They had concealed themselves. We heard you walking in the garden. And so, so we hid away from you. How many people are hiding away from God, seeking to conceal their sin, rather than bringing it forth to God, who is merciful and willing to receive us if we humble ourselves in repentance? And the real problem with this is, is if you're successful at concealing your sin from God, you're actually not successful because we know the God of all the universe sees your sin. It's a foolish thing to do. God knows all things. God sees all things. Nothing can be hidden from God. He already knows. And yet, what happens inside a person when he or she is successful at concealing sin is that person creates an entirely different God. A God of his own imagination. A God who, who cannot see sin. A God who is not all-powerful. And he drifts away. We conceal our sin with false confessions. You know, you can say, I have sinned, and it not be a genuine confession. This is what Pharaoh did when he was rebelling against the God of heaven, and Moses said, Pharaoh, let my people go, and God brought plague after plague after plague, and Pharaoh didn't like the plagues that were coming, and he said, I have sinned. But what did he do? When the plague was removed... When the trouble was removed, his confession was evidenced as a false confession. It was a confession in the chaos. We see the same thing with King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul was supposed to go into a land and he was supposed to destroy all people. It was a holy war. God had commissioned him to do it, and yet he didn't do it. He saved the king and he saved certain things. And as he was confronted by Samuel... King David said, I have sinned. But was King David's confession an honest confession? No, it wasn't an honest confession. We can tell by the rest of his life that it wasn't a genuine confession. It was just this, this big brother Samuel character keeps coming to me telling me I do things wrong and I'd like to get rid of him. You know what that's like. Just say what he wants. Say what, say what the pastors want. It's not a genuine confession. It's a concealing of our sin. We not only conceal our sin from God, we conceal our sin from ourselves. Romans 1 says, as people turned away from God and began to worship the creature rather than the creator, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He gave them up to futile thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that they actually would not even acknowledge themselves what they had done. They began to live a double life coming and saying certain things on one day and saying other things on another. Saying certain things among certain kinds of people and living a certain way among other kinds of people. This is a hardening of the heart. Have you experienced this where you're hearing the word of God preached and you, you're feeling the Holy Spirit of God thunder upon your conscience and yet like Pharaoh, you harden your heart. Think about something else. Just hold out for another 30 minutes until we're done. Don't respond to the work that's coming in upon you. This is a hardening of hearts. This is a concealing of our own sin, even from ourselves. We conceal our transgressions from others. And what a grievous 
pitiful life this is. Husbands concealing sin from our wives. The ones who are to know us. The ones with whom we are to be naked and unashamed like the Bible says. And yet we know there's things that we have not brought forth. We've lived a certain way. And here is the one God has given us to be a helper to us. And yet we're concealing sin from her. Wives, concealing sin from your husbands. Thinking, how could I ever bring this up to him? And yet knowing there's a, there's a breaking down of your fellowship. There is a disassembling of your sweet communion in your marriage. Because you've got this other burden that you have not confessed to him. That you've not brought into the light with him. Church members. We conceal sin from one another trying to present ourselves as if we're something better than what we really are because we love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. And yet, members here, you have covenanted together to affirm each other's faith, to love each other, to intercede for one another. And yet you think, I'm not going to confess my sin. I'll just confess it to God, but I'm not going to confess it to my brothers and sisters in this church. You see a a resisting of accountability, a resisting of genuine fellowship. So we proclaim that Jesus Christ, yes, he was crucified for all of our sins, and yet we live as if he wasn't. We live saying, this is too big to bring up. If I bring this up, there's no way that we'll be able to go on together. We will if Jesus Christ has shed his blood for our sins. We will if Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see, the person that is in Christ knows what to do with sin. That is, confess it, not conceal it. It's the world that must confess their sin. It's Christians who bring it into the light. We conceal our transgressions when we acknowledge them, but we minimize them. It wasn't really slander, it was just a slip of the tongue. We say something hateful, vengeful, and then respond, I I didn't mean that. The word of God says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And yet we say, that's not what I meant. I've fallen into grievous sexual immorality, but what, what I really did is I just slipped up a little bit. When we minimize our sin, we're concealing our sin. And we conceal our transgressions by ignoring God's law. I encourage you to thank God for your pastors. As Pastor Bernie just confessed sin according to the law of God. What is sin? If if, if you don't pay attention to the law of God, you're not going to be able to identify sin. And so one great way to conceal sin is just to ignore the law of God. And say, you know what, anybody who would talk about the law of God must be a legalist. I don't want to talk about that. God has said, have no other gods before me. Do not make any graven images. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. Psalm 1 says, the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, he's not a legalist. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Bearing its fruit in season. His leaves are always green. He flourishes. 
Think upon the law of God. Ask God to reveal your sin to you, that it would not be concealed. Because, part two, if it's concealed, then that man will not prosper. Let the dreadfulness of that statement weigh upon you. He will not prosper. What does this mean? Such a man will not prosper in relationship to God. He does not prosper in prayer to God. What does the New Testament tell us? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Find find the righteous man, find the righteous church, Oh God, please show mercy to Missio Church that when they pray, there would be power in it. When they say, oh Father, your kingdom come right here in Syracuse and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that that prayer would have power in it. Because it's a church that confesses sin and by God's grace, sin is purged out of this congregation. But you know, The New Testament also tells us that men who do not deal with their wives in an understanding way, it says you should deal with them in an understanding way because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. You'll feel like your prayers are just banging off the ceiling and coming back down. We do not prosper in relationship to God as we sing to him. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, you broke my bonds of sin and shame. The man who's confessing his sin can say it with a whole heart. It's gone, all of it. My past shame, my present shame, there is no future shame. It's been all placed upon the beloved son of God and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's nothing left for me but love from the God in heaven. But the one who's concealing sin, you understand. You want to come and sing, you broke my bonds of sin and shame, and yet you know you're concealing your sin and the shame is still there because you haven't brought it into the light and allowed Christ to do away with it. And so you come sing with half a heart or a quarter of a heart or three quarters of a heart, trying somehow to conceal that whole part of your life as you seek to worship the God who is holy. He does not prosper in hearing from God. God speaks his truth. And if you harden your heart again and again, as the word of God comes forth, there is no promise that your heart won't be hardened until the end. He does not prosper in feasting with God. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in a few moments. Fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, coming together to commune with Christ. And yet the word of God is very clear that we ought to examine ourselves before coming to this table. You do not have to be perfect to come to this table. There are no perfect people. But you have to be walking in repentance and faith, trusting the Lord and following him as God. But the man or the woman who conceals sin He and she won't prosper in feasting and communing with the one true and living God. Such a man will not prosper in fellowship with the Spirit. The Old Testament tells us 
This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. One of the prayers that my wife and I have for our children is that they would be those who are humble and contrite and tremble at the very word of God. Why? Because that's the one to whom God looks. Don't you want to be one to whom God looks? One that he places his blessing upon? Such a man will not prosper in his relationship to others. He will not prosper in relationship to God. He will not prosper in relationship to others. That is, his marriage does not prosper. Ephesians 5 says, man and woman come together, the two shall become one flesh, and this exists to magnify Christ in the church. And yet that marriage cannot prosper if sin is concealed, covered up. He will not prosper in his family. Fathers, you're to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I've spoken with fathers very recently who looked at me and said, I was concealing sin. How could I raise this boy in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? He came to me confessing sin. What did I have to offer him knowing I was concealing mine? Men, you might think that if you confess your sin and it comes into the light, there's no way that you'll be able to raise your sons. No way you'll be able to raise your daughters. It's just the opposite. You don't have to be perfect like Jesus to raise sons and daughters in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You have to be a confessing man, a repenting man, getting down and saying, let me tell you, I'm seeking to crucify my sin. And there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me teach you his ways. Let me encourage you to know him. A man who conceals his sin will not prosper in his relationship to the church. There's duties and responsibilities when one enters into a fellowship of Christ. He is to care for others in this congregation. Think of all of the one another's of the New Testament. How, how is a sister of this congregation supposed to come along another side, another sister in Christ here if she's concealing sin? If she's got something here that she has not brought into the light. Such a person will not only fail to prosper in relationship to God and relationship to others, but such a person will fail to prosper in relationship to himself. Sin has a corrupting power. It's not merely a transgression of God's law. It is that. It's a disregarding of his commandments. It's a breaking of his commandments. But it's also a power that comes in and corrodes us. And so a mind is affected by sin. And if it's concealed, that mind is corrupted. It becomes futile. It becomes darkened. A heart is impacted. A heart that used to be soft to God's ways. If there's one of you here, a follower of Christ or just a friend, someone who's here figuring out what Christianity is all about, there's a way to live sensitive to God. When he speaks, you, you listen. When the spirit works, you know it. You respond. There's a way to grow hardened to him, to grow cold to him. That happens as we conceal sin. It will affect a man's strength. 
It will affect his work. It will affect his joy and happiness. That's the first half of the verse and the first two parts of this passage. He who conceals a sin, he will not prosper. Now for the good news. He who confesses a sin and forsakes his sin. Do people do this? Yes, people do this. What's involved in being a person who confesses sin? Well, he who confesses his transgression first, he sees his transgression. There is absolutely no way for you to confess your sin if you don't see your sin. And yes, we sin in ways that we don't see. We have blind spots. How are you going to be able to identify your sin? This is where the necessity of the law comes in. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but people will, will drop shoulds and shouldn'ts on you all the time. You probably experienced this, maybe from in-laws, maybe from people that you work with. Every time somebody's doing that, they're doing that based on a law. You should do this. And you should try to identify what law is going on underneath. So you find out when people are dropping shoulds on you, and they shouldn't be dropping shoulds on you. But very often, we're over here in some kind of error, and we might not even know it because we don't know the law of God. We cannot even see our sin. If we're going to confess our sin, we have to see our sin. We need to understand God's word. We need to be people that meditate on the word of God day and night, asking God that by his spirit, we would come to see the truth. But it's not only a matter of seeing our sin, we need to see the gravity of our sin. We need to be able to weigh our sin appropriately. We need to see the breadth of our sin. That comes as we see our sin as sin against the holy God. We teach our children from a little catechism. I think you have those catechisms available in the back. And says, what is it to repent? It is to be sorry for sin and to hate and forsake it because it is displeasing to God. Now, is it just to be sorry for my sin? No. Is it just to hate my sin? No. Is it just to forsake my sin? No. You can be sorry for it, you can hate it, and you can forsake it. And you cannot be repenting, and you cannot be confessing, and you can still be concealing. Because quite honestly, that sin is going to embarrass me if people find out, and so I hate it, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll pick up another one. True confession is hating it and forsaking it because it's displeasing to God. Because the God of all the world has given me his law, and his law is good, and he has loved me, and he's done nothing but pour out blessings upon me my whole life, and I've taken up arms of rebellion against him. I've gone after my own way. You come to see the goodness of God and the kindness of God, and it leads you to repentance, seeing that you've sinned against him and him alone, and you can be like David. Psalm 51, who says, against you, you alone have I sinned. He who confesses his transgressions confesses the heart behind the sin, not only the outward action. It's easy to say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But the person who's confessing is acknowledging that this came right out of me. The sin came right out of my flesh. He who confesses his transgression sorrows 
over his sin. In 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking to them about the grief that he caused them in his previous letter. And he said, I didn't want to cause you grief just for any reason at all, but I am happy that you've been grieved into repenting. And as you seek to hold each other accountable and and to seek repentance and faith together, I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 7. Because it talks about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. There is such a thing as worldly sorrow, and it can look a lot like godly sorrow. But godly sorrow is full of zeal. It's full of an eagerness to clear yourselves, or to make right whatever has been put wrong. There's grief because I've sinned against a holy God and not just because I've sinned against someone else or I've somehow embarrassed myself. He who confesses his sin has shame over his sin. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. In Jeremiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament, there's a declaration to people who had done all kinds of grievous things, and it says, were they ashamed when they did these things? No, they were not at all ashamed. They had forgotten how to blush. Now understand, this is a shame that rises up, a shame that is acknowledged in the confession, and then a shame that is removed by the blood of Jesus. That shame should be there, though. That's the reason, one of the reasons, that people don't bring forth the confession is because they're boxed up knowing that they will have to face the shame if they bring it forth. He who confesses his sin hates his sin. I encourage you to think deeply upon these things. If it's true that the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, if it's true that the one who confesses his sin will obtain mercy, then it's important to know what a confession is. Don't be fooled when it comes to a confession. To think that you can somehow enter into a building with a priest and say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and he can tell you to go say a few Hail Marys, and then you can be right with God and receive that blessing is a lie from the pit of hell. So what's involved in a confession? It's godly sorrow, godly grief. It's hatred of sin. Romans chapter eight, verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That means I want to kill these deeds of the body. I want to take these sins that reside here in my flesh and I want to crucify them because I hate them. I feel the way God feels about them. Do you hate your sin? If you find yourself this morning not hating your sin, listen, there's a God in heaven who can give you the grace that you would hate your sin. He's here, he lives, he reigns, cry out to him. There is a man in scripture who could not find repentance though he sought it with tears and may you not be that person. May you not be him. Seek repentance. Ask God to show you his goodness, his kindness, his glory, and ask him to show you your sin for what it really is. Ask him to think, help you think, this is what put Christ on the cross. 
There Jesus is, my, my great king and God suffering, drinking down the cup of God's wrath for what I've done. He who confesses his sin, and this is very important, forsakes his sin. He not only grieves it, he not only sees it, he not only hates it, he leaves it. He doesn't come back again and again with the exact same pattern of habitual sin. He leaves it. So if you feel like you've been enslaved, friend, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Put off, put off the old man. Put on the new man. And if you think that you can, you can come in and when you hear the exhortations given at the Lord's Supper, just think, well, I know no one else here knows this, but I've done this week after week after week. God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I know it's the same thing I've been dealing with for, for months. It's the same thing I've been dealing with for years. And you're somehow getting that fixed there in that moment. That is not true. That is not wise. You need to confess your sin to others in this church. You need to come to your elders and say, please pray for me because I'm in a pattern of sin. I've been concealing sin and I want to conceal it no longer. I want to kill it and I want to forsake it. Luke chapter three, verse eight says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Matthew chapter seven says, you will know them by their fruits. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. First John chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that if we say we know him while we walk in darkness... It's not just a matter of, of sinning once and then confessing it and leaving it off. It's not a matter of even doing battle with sin and continually putting it off and experiencing more and more victory over sin. This is walking in darkness. This is habitual sin, continual sin in the same direction further and further into a sinful lifestyle. He who's walking in darkness but says, I know him, he's a liar. He does not know him. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. When we say we know him, we speak the truth. So he who confesses his sin. The only way to confess sin is to do this in view of God's great mercy and kindness. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so I encourage you this morning, our God is kind. He is merciful. Think of that prodigal son. How far had he gone? He looked at his father and said, give me my money, which is your money. Give me your money. And I'll go spend it on whatever I want to spend it on. And it's gone. There's nothing left. He had nothing to bring to his father. But he remembered his father. He remembered his father's merciful. He said, I'll go be a servant with my father. And he comes back and that, God, that father runs to him. 
a picture of our God and Father, runs to him and embraces him. This is what God will do if you confess your sin. If you come home, you might feel like you've been in the far country for years upon years upon years and you say, I don't even know. I don't know where home is. Home's at a place called Calvary. Home's at a place where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the man who was born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate and lived a perfectly righteous life, fulfilling every last line of God's law, a law that you and I, friends, have not met. This Jesus Christ laid down his life on a cross 2,000 years ago, and he has risen from the dead, and he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him in faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Come confessing your sin, turning away from your sin to Christ. You have nothing to bring to him. I've had nothing to bring to him. And he welcomes us. Confess your sin. What will happen? You will obtain this mercy. What a lovely promise to move us to confess and forsake sin. He will obtain mercy from God. That is, he will receive the tender affection and compassion of God. He will obtain the mercy of not continuing in sin or walking in darkness. Friend, brother, sister, if you've been, if you've been concealing sin, it's wretched. Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. It is not a life you want to live. And part of the mercy that you will receive as you confess sin is you won't have to live that way anymore. You won't have to be weighed down under a load of sin. You won't have all of that, all of that corruption of the marriage and all the corruption of parenting, all the corruption of the church. You'll, you'll be able to breathe deeply. You'll be able to sing to God with a whole heart. You'll be able to come and fellowship at the table, experiencing communion. You will taste and see that the Lord is good. We encourage you to come away from concealing. He will obtain the mercy of having Christians pray for him. You know, there's brothers and sisters right here in this church that are eager to pray for you. They need to know what you're dealing with. They're ready to intercede for you. They're ready to say, we understand. You're not going to come and confess sin to your elders or deacons or other members of this church and have them say, how could you? That's not what we do here. They're going to say, no, I understand. They're going to pray for you. He will obtain the mercy of facing sin's consequences. You say, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like mercy. The book of Hebrews said, God disciplines those whom he loves. And yes, when you confess sin, there will be consequences. There will be discipline. And that's a mercy. That's the love of God. That's the love of this congregation. The encouragements, the exhortations, the admonishments, whatever comes, that's mercy. He will obtain never-ending mercy. If you confess your sin, if you forsake your sin, there's never going to come a day in this life or the next in the resurrection where you won't be a recipient of the Father's mercy. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end I stand in awe 
of this truth, that those of us who are Christians in this room will be together forever with the Lord. Lay hold of that truth this morning here in Syracuse, where we will not be forever. Lay hold of this truth that we're going to live forever. And every day we wake up, we will receive fatherly compassion, not because we earned it, but because we confessed our sins and we forsook them. He will obtain the mercy of having the Lord as his portion. Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. As we're soon to come to the Lord's table, think about this. God is your meat and drink. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. You have the best portion you could possibly have because you've confessed and forsaken your sin and received the mercy of God. He will obtain the mercy of humility. He will be a humble man. She will be a humble woman. Boasted up in arrogance, pretending like we've got everything together, but walking in continual confession and continual repentance. The person who confesses his sin and forsakes it will obtain the mercy of God-given grief. He will obtain the mercy of God's steadfast love with all its benefits. Missio Church, you are a city on a hill. You are a light in the darkness. There is a real temptation, a real enemy who would seek to snuff out the light that is Missio Church. Do not let him do it. Stand fast, each and every one of you, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't conceal your sin. Confess your sin. Forsake your sin. For then you will obtain mercy. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. He has lived, died, and risen again. If you're here as one who does not know him, this word is for you. You too. Come to Christ, confessing your sin to him. Come to Christ, the one who's been crucified, the one who's risen again. Trust in him. Depend upon him to take away all of your sin and give you eternal life. And you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would grant us the mercy that we would confess sin and forsake sin that we might obtain mercy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.